Hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of my podcast, Crit Me. As is the same as our first episode, this podcast is brought to you by Lunar Games, the makers of Endless Realms. Uh, you can check out their amazing D10-based role-playing game called Endless Realms on their website or drive through RPG. All right, so this time I'm here with my brother that I talked about kind of briefly in the first episode uh, as part of my Endless Realms campaign. Uh, he has been playing Dungeons & Dragons for a good number of years. Uh, do you know roughly how long? Yeah, it's been about 10 years for me. Okay. And how did you end up getting started playing Dungeons & Dragons or just, I guess, like roll top or RPGs in general? Would you like me to introduce myself first? <laughs> sure, go ahead. <laughs> Hi, my name is Alan. I'm uh, I'm the brother, the younger brother. And uh, yeah, I've been playing for 10 years. D&D, other role-playing games, Star Wars role-playing games and the like, like Endless Realms. Uh, how did you get started playing role-playing games or tabletop games in general? Oh, well, you know, I started back in high school. I believe I was in grade 10. And uh, a group of friends that I was playing Magic the Gathering with uh, all of a sudden became less available for Magic the Gathering. And I thought, hmm, that's odd. I wonder what's up. So I asked a few of them. And I was like, why don't we hang out anymore? And they go, oh, well, we started playing this game called Dungeons and Dragons. And I went, I've heard of it. <laughs> and why didn't you invite me? And they go, oh, we didn't think you'd like it. And I was like, oh, all right. Well, do you guys mind if I come and hang out and see what it's like? And I went there and I, uh, I sat down and I made a character. Actually, I made two characters. Uh, for some reason, I had the brilliant idea to make uh, two twin characters and try to play them both at the same time, my first time playing. <laughs> that had to have been fun. Yeah, except for the fact that they were all level six and I had two level threes because I thought the math works out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not so much. The math does not work out. Do you and, remember what uh, they were? Got yeah, characters. they were, uh, they were uh, Dragonborn and one of them was a, well, this was fourth edition. So one of them was a big armored tank kind of guy and, and he wasn't the right class and it didn't work very well. <laughs> the other one was... Uh, an archer but he wasn't a ranger he was some other archer related class and i and it didn't work well either anyway those characters <laughs> only lasted for like one day and i thought man that was pretty fun i wonder if i could play it again and then i went and talked to my friends and they went, oh yeah we're done playing like that didn't work out and i went you guys can't be done playing already <laughs> i just started and then we got a bunch of friends together and started our own campaign and that was where things really took off. That was when we went to 3.5, where my yeah. D&D really took off. So I guess having started with 4th edition and then moving to 3.5, did you enjoy 3.5 more than 5th than, Sorry, than 4th edition? Uh, for me, it worked out really well. Uh, like me and my friends, uh, being pretty nitpicky when it comes to like strategy and we would read up and do research and figure all the math out. And, and 3.5 worked really well with that. We were able to kind of experiment with characters. And then we figured out what all the cool classes were, what the cool feats were. And people kept kind of making new things that surprised everyone. 
and it made it really exciting for us. Uh, the reason why we never went back to fourth edition is just it's very mainstreamed and built to get people into that kind of excitement, but it kind of doesn't let you expand your uh, creativity as much, in my opinion. Not that it doesn't. You can be creative playing any edition of D&D. But we just found that for me and my friends and the way that we liked to do like the number crunching and stuff, it was really fun to play one that was focused around that. With that being said, I know that a lot of people in the past have said that fourth edition was pretty limited. Uh, do you think that fifth edition, while still being nice and user-friendly for new players, gives you more opportunities? I know you haven't had a ton of time to play it, but just from what you've kind of seen. Well, you know what? I, I played 3.5 all the way up until... 2018 and then i made the switch pretty late uh to fifth edition only having switched last year but you know like fifth edition they've definitely done their due diligence and really rolled out the material i think the thing with fourth edition when people say it's limited it's not that they limit your ability it's just that the content in fourth edition there wasn't as much of the in 3.5 they had dozens of books of campaigns and uh, supplementary books to help make your characters more unique and have different types of mm -hmm. characters. And fourth edition, they kind of saw that it wasn't catching on as well as 3.5 and it definitely wasn't competing with Pathfinder at the time. And so they decided to kind of stop making content for it and focus all their efforts on creating fifth edition fourth edition being like the shortest yeah. lived uh, edition, you could see that they definitely put all the resources into trying to hit fifth edition really hard and have all of the content out really fast compared to 3.5. All of the, they almost have the same amount of content, if not more in like a quarter of the time. Yeah. So and I, I think that's that really where, where the complaints for fourth edition come from, in my mm -hmm. opinion. And I do think that the, the really good thing that Wizards of the Coast is doing with 5th edition is that they're partnering with uh, all of these other uh, content creators like Joe from Death Saves, Matt from Critical Role, uh, the team from High Rollers, stuff like that in order to make new content and to order to help like kind of bring more people into the fold. So I think that was that was smart of them to do to kind of if we've found something that's popular amongst people, why don't we try and make that not necessarily a really mainstream part of our game, but make it an option for people to be able to play? You know, that's, uh, that's a great point. Uh, they definitely have kind of encouraged people who, who are fans of the game, who have been for a long time, and they've been listening to them. And I think with the big rise in popularity of like streaming and, and YouTube, like over the past decade, uh, that is really open and they can actually see like what people like and what people can get behind and mm -hmm. they can kind of cater towards that a little bit. Um, not to say I don't think they did in 3.5. I'm pretty sure a lot of their stuff was actually they would go to the community and they would have at the community events, they would get ideas to create new campaigns. It was just a lot more limited information transfer back then. But, you know, like to see them leaning heavily into it now, I think is awesome. Like you said, like, especially with things like Critical Role, like I, I can't think of anyone who plays tabletop and hasn't heard at least once of Critical Role. 
Yeah. And to be able to take the stuff that they make, some of the homebrew content and make it actually in a book. Uh, I think for some people that makes it really great because then even people who who don't feel safe trying out homebrew content, they can at least say, well, this has been uh, taken by Wizards of the Coast and made more uh, complete and it's yeah. been vetted by them. And they can get behind the fact that the, the name, the brand Wizards of the Coast is actually standing behind that kind of content. Uh, so the next question here was you've played... For, at least from what I've heard from all of our discussions, you have played all sorts of different types of characters and classes and different, you know, ways of playing different characters and whatnot. What's kind of like your your go-to, either like not necessarily race, but maybe your go-to class? That's actually kind of funny that you mentioned that. Uh, and yeah, I have I have talked to you about having a lot of characters. Uh, and what's funny is that most of the characters were created because uh, the DM and my friend group at the time, when we played 3.5, his sole mission in life was to try to exterminate us at any chance <laughs> he could. And eventually he would exterminate everybody, leaving no options of revival. And then we'd have to start a new campaign. And as that went on, over the six or seven years I played with that group, we probably had... 13 or 14 different campaigns or in some scenarios we had the same world but complete new cast of characters right. <laughs> happen like four or five times and in my time i've played different combinations of like very specific kind of min maxed characters and kind of a little more off the cuff characters that where the the races and the and the classes don't really match to create the perfect balance but more to create an interesting backstory mm -hmm. and when it comes down to it i don't like any one particular class above the others i don't like any particular race above the others i do actually like the combinations that you get by mixing two things that would make a unique type of character and i like funny stuff too like every now and again i'll make a character like a halfling paladin or something <laughs> that goes riding on a on a riding dog through through the hallways of a castle <laughs> yeah it, it's always fun having like you know the the small boom boom characters or the super large mega stealth characters it's always it's always fun it lets you be creative and everyone's made jokes about having the uh the half orc wizard but you know like it's it creates a whole new idea because you you're taking a, a class that gets shunned by people so of course it, it's or not a class but a race that is shunned by many of the people in the world and you're giving them the the reason to be secluded the reason to kind of not be accepted by a society and in a big popular city where would you go yeah and you might find yourself in a bookstore and reading about everything and just really falling in love with knowledge. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, boom, now you have the, the, the race led to the reason of being alone in a city, led to you reading the books and learning about magic and then having the desire to go and find out more about the magic. And now you have a half-orc wizard. And it might not be the most effective 
but I'll tell you what, when, when you can, when someone says something that strikes a core with your character, when you're in that character's mindset, it makes it way more enjoyable in my opinion than being able to say, well, I'm the human fighter. And since I'm a human, I get an extra feet. So I walk up to anybody and whoever pisses me off, I can cleave their head off without any effort. It's like, that's not as fun in my opinion. Yeah. I, I think like you said, I think so many people when they're creating characters get caught up in the, I'm this kind of race or this kind of class. So this is how my character has to behave. And they don't think to themselves like, Hmm, well, what if I make myself, you know, a really interesting backstory or put maybe some of my own personality into the character and make them somebody really unique or different where the reason that they are the way that they are is for some completely different reason than you would expect. For sure. I agree entirely. Uh, I think that the game, like the game is based around role playing where playing as a character and there's no better way to play as a character than to create something that gets you invested in the character and mm -hmm. no numbers or min maxing will ever get you attached to your character. And some people can tell themselves that they love their character to bits because it's the most powerful assassin that's ever existed. But is it really fun if you don't have a reason to assassinate people? Yeah, exactly. And I guess just like kind of on this whole train of thought, what do you think it is that draws, and I mean, it's definitely been a much more increased cr uh, crowd and audience with things like streaming and YouTube, but what do you think is the main thing that draws people into wanting to play Dungeons and Dragons or these other tabletop games? Well, you know, I think we've already kind of discussed it, but in my opinion, the thing that keeps drawing people and the reason why it's gaining popularity is because it's such an easy way to express your creativity with your friends in a way that doesn't put you on a stage. Mm -hmm. Like an artist, uh, you can paint and painting's great, but at some point you're going to want to show people your artwork mm. and you can show your friends so many times, but eventually you're going to have to go and do an art show and that can be really stressful. Whereas I feel like Dungeons and Dragons, you can get creative and there's so many different ways of being creative that like when you sit down with your friends, your friends aren't like, oh, not another one. Because everybody can get behind, like when you sit down at a table, everybody's thinking the same thing, you know? Yeah. Everybody kind of joins at the table and everybody has the same creativity, whether they like to believe it or not, of here's a person I wish I could be, or here's a person that I've thought up, or here's a person that I think would be hilarious. And I want to share my, my hilarious experience with my friends. And you get that mixture of creativity of, of people that you thought up in your head and you don't have to be good at writing a book. You don't have to be good with a paintbrush. You just have to have a creative mindset to create a character. They give you all of them, all of the numbers and all of the material and you read and you learn what you need. But, you know, it's, in my opinion, it's probably one of the easiest ways I've had for being creative. And I think that's why it's gaining popularity. Everyone sees, everyone watches YouTube videos and goes, well, I want to do that. But not mm -hmm. everybody has the equipment or the skill or the, or the public, like the outgoingness to become YouTube famous. But everyone has enough bravery to go and sit down with their friends. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And I think another really good thing that you touched on there is the fact that for 
maybe people who don't feel comfortable with themselves or comfortable with their life, it's a chance to kind of get a little bit of escapism. It lets you become somebody else, you know, maybe try being the person that you want to be. And I think that's very empowering to a lot of people, which I think is why it draws the crowd that it does. For sure. I agree entirely. Yeah. For some people who need that little bit of escape from the real world, it's the perfect scapegoat. And everybody has different reasons for why they play. I think that's great. Like me personally, I, I have said it a bunch about the creativity. I just love expressing myself uh, through the characters I build and the backstories I write. But I know that there's other people in my friend group who just all they want to do is hack a goblin's head off and fling it across the room. And that's, mm -hmm. and you know what, that to them, that's perfect. And they, they come and they sit down with their friends and they drink some energy drinks <laughs> and they eat some junk food and then they go, and I want to cleave that goblin in half. And then you go, ah, oh, yeah, you did it. And everyone goes, yeah. And they just feel so empowered from that moment. And every, like I, I have friends from all walks of life who play D and D with me and, and you get to see everybody enjoying it in their own specific way. And I, I just enjoy that so much. Well, I know that uh, we haven't really talked about it a whole lot yet, but knowing the ultra creative person that you are, I don't think it was much of a leap for you to jump from player to DM. Uh, do you know what kind of initially prompted that that switch over to wanting to be be a DM? You know, create your own world, have your own adventure, so to say. Yeah, thinking back to when I started, it's actually quite closely tied to what I mentioned earlier about having a DM whose main goal it was to just eliminate everybody. He had his own personal style, and I totally understand that. You kind of have to roll with it. But every time I played with them, it wasn't my favorite because I would make these characters and put so much effort in, and I would show up to a campaign and if he accidentally made a mistake and outnumbered us because he didn't understand our characters enough, all of a sudden the character I put all this effort into who's only existed for four sessions is now dead on the floor next to everyone else. And everyone mm -hmm. else could just move on. But I got so attached to these characters. I would spend hours and hours creating and I went, well, there's gotta be, there's gotta be an avenue to be able to express this. And I can't be the only one. And so I talked to a few friends in that group and I said, do you guys, enjoy that he kills us all the time and a few of them were like yeah well it's it's just part of the game and i went well what if i did a campaign where you had to you got to create an amazing character and we just took it slow at first and let your character build up steam get some experience gain some levels get some cool equipment help people get a little more fleshed out characters and it'll be an easier going campaign and then you can always come back to the hard campaign and challenge challenge the DM who <laughs> liked to punish everyone. <laughs> and I just gave him the option. I said, ah, you know what? I'd like to learn. Would anyone be down? And I found out that like pretty much everyone in my friend group thought, yeah, I'll, I'll do that. And we all showed up and it tanked <laughs> <laughs> super hard. I was not ready to be a DM. I went way too easy. I gave him too much gold. People got bored and they left. It took, a little, it took me a little time, a little bit of a break, and I had to kind of take a step back and think. I was like, there's got to be a middle ground. They, people are always drawn to getting beat up, but then they got bored of me when I gave them what they wanted. So that you kind of do a little introspection, and that was for me, that was like three or four years ago, and I, and I started a couple other campaigns with uh, 
like there was uh, a few campaigns I did with some close friends and uh, one of my one of my girlfriends uh, she had a bunch of friends who had never played before and they came up to me and they said like hey we've heard you talk about D&D we really want to give it a try and I thought to myself I have I I don't know if I'm ready like I last time I did a campaign it blew up in my face and they said and I thought about it and I was like, you know what? They've never played. They don't know anything else. <laughs> so <laughs> the worst that could so happen. So this is a dumpster fire. They're not going to know. <laughs> so if it goes down in flames, I mean, there's only up from there. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought, oh, I'll give it one more try. Yeah. And then I did it and I made it a little harder. I put a little bit of fear in them that like there's mm-hmm. a chance you could lose your character any moment. And that is when it really clicked. And I realized how much I love being a DM is finding the balance of like kind of getting people to love their characters, giving them what they kind of need to feel connected, but challenging it mm-hmm. so that they feel like, like everything they've built towards could be taken from them at any moment. Mm-hmm. And you know, that campaign went on for at least a year and it was so much fun. And we barely got anywhere. I think they, when they ended, they were only level nine. Oh wow. <laughs> but, at, but you know what? Like, I think back on that campaign as one of the most fond campaigns of all time. Is when I really kind of put together how much I liked being a DM. For myself, I've played what four different campaigns. I think where you've DM'd now, something around there, three or four. And yeah, I think we're around four now. And yeah, it's ju- it just surprises me every single time that we play how quickly you can pick up on the on the character, like just little story minutia and just pick it up and go with it. And so I think that was really inspiring for me personally to try and do this myself. Uh, And then of course, having the opportunity again, like you said, well, it's a brand new game. Nobody knows how it works. So if it doesn't go well, nobody's going to (laughs) know. And I think that, uh, I think that, yeah, it was just, I had to force myself to do it. And then once you do it and you realize how fun it is, it's just something that you wish you would have done sooner kind of thing. And the biggest thing, in my opinion, is anyone who tries DMing, the first rule is to make sure that you are having fun. Because if you're sitting at the head of a table and everybody's looking to you for an adventure and you're not having fun with it, they're not going to have fun either. And it sounds corny and you hear everyone say it, but in reality, if the DM's not having fun, no one in the campaign is going to have fun. That's so true. So you have to really just enjoy, like if you're ready to DM, all you have to do is be open to just enjoying whatever your characters throw at you. And you know what? That's probably the thing I love the most. And the reason why I keep DMing is because I love seeing new players, veteran players, and anywhere in between I love seeing people sit down at the table and challenge my uh, my story, make it either more, they can make it more difficult or more just in depth or talk to somebody I didn't intend them to talk to. But you have to be ready to kind of go with it because that helps make it fun as a DM. And then you take that and you get so many more ideas and then you take those and throw them back at the characters and then they start having fun. Mm. And that's really what makes it exciting is, is you think you have it all planned out and you could have this perfect story, but really it's never, it never, uh, never, if you create your own story, it will never end where you want it to. Yeah. 
you just have to be ready to make four or five different branches of campaign. <laughs> yeah. I think that's like some of my favorite moments from, uh, from watching critical role and specifically in this last campaign, I'm sure some people know that I'm talking about, but there was a, a sea battle uh, with two ships that Matt had poured tireless effort into creating this whole huge, cool naval battle. And the party did something that completely derailed it. And he's just like, well, sh- I guess we're done with that. <laughs> and, and you have to be okay to roll with it. Yeah. And then you like, I'm, I'm sure he, he moved on. He went home and he got a good night's sleep and he thought up some new ideas and you move on. <laughs> yeah. But exactly. you have to, you have to be able to enjoy that. Cause if, if he put all that effort in creating that sea battle and they completely circumnavigated it and he was done and he was upset about it and he went home and pouted, well, the characters aren't going to want to come back. The players aren't going to want to come back and enjoy the rest of the story because they're like, oh, we were too smart and now we're being punished. Kind of. I think the the biggest thing that, that you'll learn very quickly as a DM is not to be offended when a player just like completely blows you away and does something that you did not expect and derails what you had planned. It's, I think you have to treat it like, wow, you found a way to just like blow through this. Congrats to you. Let's keep going. You have to be like a proud parent. You have to be like, like you're giving them the lesson and then they figure out a new way of doing whatever you've posed to them. And they wow you. And you can't just be like, don't do that. You got to do it my My way. way. Because that just crushes their spirits. You have to always look at it like, I'm very proud of you. Mm -hmm. You out, like you outsmarted the DM. Good job. Prepare for the next one. (laughs) (laughs) I will remember this. It will come back to haunt you. And every time they, they, they kind of, crush one of your challenges without you expecting it, not in the way that you expected, you have to be ready to go, okay, now I have to think of something more challenging. challenging. I know that you've done a couple of either just standard homebrew campaigns of Dungeons and Dragons, uh, but I know that you also created a game that myself and a couple of your other friends started playing, which was essentially D&D, but for Pokemon. Want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess I can talk about that. Uh, Somewhere along the lines, uh, I had the brilliant idea that I wanted Pokemon in my D&D world. And I was cracking my head trying to think of ways I could make a druid with a fire-breathing salamander or something. And then I thought... (laughs) hold on a minute. I don't have to put all this effort into trying to make it work in a system that's not built for it. When I could just create a system that it works with. And then I already have all the material made for me. And so I kind of like took a bit and I took a step back and the hardest part was just kind of working out stats. But I did, what I did is I took the, the skeleton of D and D 3.5 being so, open to just changing things and, and changing how the numbers work. It's, mm-hmm. it's not quite as uh, planned out a little more. It's a little bit more fluid. It's easier to kind of a little more flex create. Yeah. 
And it allows you to kind of uh, take things and just apply new numbers to the equation, essentially. Mm -hmm. And so all I did was I created a world where players and the monsters that battle beside them, Pokemon, have two different character sheets, essentially. Mm -hmm. And all of the players got to be completely story mode. And so all they had were skill checks and base stats to help them uh, progress the story. And then whenever it came to combat, no matter how their character was created, whether their character was a big, strong, muscular bodybuilder or a tiny little scientist, they didn't have to worry about getting destroyed in combat. They could completely dissociate their character from being good at fighting because they had their Pokemon with them. Mm -hmm. And the Pokemon were very easy to, to kind of move over from the from the all the stats that they have online for from the video games. It was very easy to plug and play those numbers into a system where they were essentially a second character that didn't have any role playing and his entire purpose was to battle. And it also allowed people to kind of live out their dream of finding and befriending or dominating a certain Pokemon uh, and then using them for fighting or to not fight or to help people. And it created a really great dynamic. I was really happy about how it turned out. But yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed taking a crack at creating something and it is by no means ready <laughs> to be shown to anybody else. But just to be able yeah, to still very of, much in beta mode, <laughs> but being able to kind of take something I loved D and D and then apply something else that I loved Pokemon and then using my creativity kind of mash them together and, and had it actually succeed and create something that fit my personality of role playing to a T and also being able to have my brother fight one of my best friends <laughs> with with a freaking geo dude <laughs> oh yeah that was or table flipping an air on on its head <laughs> things you things that you you hear people like getting slapped by the street signs in D, but it's way funnier when it's a bell sprout <laughs> <laughs> I know that uh, we did talk about this a little bit earlier and how you know media has changed things and whatnot, but I mean, community-wise, with Dungeons and & Dragons and role-playing games, what's the biggest shift you've seen in the community itself over the years while you've been playing? In the community, the biggest shift I've seen over the past 10 years is the type of people who are willing to play the game. Mm. And it might sound stereotypical, but even when I started, like me and my friends, we were already pretty nerdy. Like we were playing Magic the Gathering in my friend's basement after school every day of the week. And when we started, I remember even back then with that game being a, a competitive card game, we had friends at high school who were by no, by uh, any means of the word, they were jocks. They played on the football team. And now my best, one of my best friends he used to slap me every single day in school. <laughs> and, and then he saw us playing a card game once and went, oh, that's really cool. And then he came and started playing with us. 
And then when we all kind of started playing D&D, we had other friends who were like, who used to do drugs in high school and, and didn't really have anywhere else to go. And then they got to play D&D with us. And now all of a sudden they are like, they don't do drugs anymore. And they, and they are happy. And, and it's, it's seeing it's the different, different types of people coming into the world, be it with like, especially with the jokes about being a nerd is being cool. Now I've seen it in the community. And there's people who never would have given it a shot because they thought, oh, I can't. Like, I, I, I'm not a nerd. Yeah. Like, I like I like eating healthy and working out. I, I can't like D&D. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, what if I told you that I play D&D? And I think there's a lot more people out there like that now where it's like, well, I play D&D. And they go, you? But you're like a put-together human being. <laughs> and then they That's go, not to say that people who play D&D are not put-together human beings just... No, no, but that's what, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like they, they look at people and they, they have in their mind that people who play D&D are, are like the pictures that were given to them by old media. Of like and the, now, the, the kids in like the robes and yeah. the table surrounded by candles. And not candles. that there's anything wrong with that. I no. love that. I wish I could do more of sitting in a robe at a D&D table. But, <laughs> but, uh, but like when you talk to people and I've seen the community, I've seen tons of people who are just like, well, I play. Mm-hmm. And someone looks at them and goes, really? And yeah. never would have guessed. And the community is evolving in the fact that people are a little more proud that they can play D&D. Mm-hmm. And you have a lot more people in the community who are who are outgoing, who never would have given it a shot, who are now going, hey, I tried this. It's actually really fun. These guys are pretty cool. I'm going to tell the world how cool these guys are and how great this game is. Mm-hmm. And, and the community, like, like with media or whatever, then exploded where there were all these like crazy figures in society. Mm-hmm. Um, one that comes to my top of my head is Will Wheaton. Yeah. And, uh, and then all of a sudden you see him playing at PAX with a bunch of people. Like, when I first saw it, I had no idea who the people were, but mm-hmm. I know who Will Wheaton was. And yeah. then seeing him advocate for it and then people will get a little more bravery. And then they're like, Why? I, I could get behind that. I'll give that a try. And the community is getting a little more outgoing where people are, are happy to say, hey, on Tuesday night, me and my friends play D&D. Would you like to come along? Yeah. And instead of being that thing that hides in the basement, now it's like group events. Like I, I can't tell you how many parties I've gone to where it's like a role-playing party. Yeah. <laughs> and you sit down, you've never met half the people and there's chips and you kind of just have three or four different little one-off campaigns going in the corner of the room. Yeah. And I think kind of to what you were saying, like it did have that stigma for a long time where it was just this like weird, like kind of just odd game that a bunch of nerds play in their mom's basement. You know, it's completely blossomed into this whole huge community that has something for everybody. It has the creativity or it has the community aspect of the inclusion or it has the escapism or it has so many different things for so many different people that really people from every, any different walk of life could find something about D&D that they enjoy. And I might be showing my age here a little bit by saying this, but like being like a decade ago, uh, like in high school, like going into high school, mm-hmm. I thought whenever someone talked about D&D, I had only ever heard about it in movies and on TV shows and stuff. And I thought it was a board game. For the yeah. longest time, my entire childhood, until I was in high school, I thought it was a board game. Like mm-hmm. just any old like Monopoly. 
And when I went to my friend's house and I saw, and I went, well, where's the board? And they go, well, it's right here. And I saw an empty grid <laughs> on the table. Yeah. And I saw, and I said, well, where's the rules? And they handed me a full book, like a textbook. And I went, <laughs> this is not what I thought it was. <laughs> and I had to, and, and I think a lot of people have that stigma where it's not what they envision it to be. Everyone's mm -hmm. heard of Dungeons and Dragons, but anyone who's heard of it and never tried it has no idea what it really is. Unless you watch nowadays, you can go and watch YouTube. And I think that's another big thing with like the expanding community is YouTube might randomly suggest, Oh, Hey, look, this really funny video. And they watch mm -hmm. it and it's people playing D&D and they go, that's what it is. That's what it's all about. Then they're drawn in. And I think it draws in more people than it pushes away, to be honest. And I do think now, like with the internet and just being able to communicate things so effortlessly, it's so much easier for people to, you know, look up rules or get an idea of how to play or, you know, figure out what kind of character they want to build. Because there's just so many resources out there now for it. And I think that makes it a lot easier for people too, is if I think people who did kind of maybe first see it when you, you know, walk into a table full of people who have a bunch of like what you just see is like a bunch of sheets and pencils and they're like constantly rolling dice for different things. It might seem overwhelming at first, but when you actually take the time to explain it to somebody and break it down, the core rules themselves of D&D &D are not horribly strenuous to figure out, but like you said, there's just so much that you can do with it because it has that huge amount of variety to it that while you can stick to, you know, just being very basic, you can also expand it out and do things that are maybe a little bit more complicated, which is also really nice when you have a mixed party where you have, you know, maybe somebody who is a little bit newer and then somebody who's, you know, a little bit more veteran is that the more veteran players have those more options that they can put in as to where the, the new player might just be like, oh, you know, I'm going to play some, something comfortable for me, something that's a little bit safer so that I can get used to playing this game. And yeah. at the same time, you can both have very interesting and complex characters. And I, and I think back, you commenting on that, like there have been so many times where I've had people who don't even know where to begin. You could hand them the book and hand them the papers and they're so overwhelmed with the size of the book or they're not really that into it and they don't want to have to, to go full depth like we've explored every in and out of like every book and some people just aren't like that and you know what even i've had new players countless new players that you can sit them down and treat it like a board game you can write up a character hand them a sheet of paper put a bunch of walls on a board and put an ogre at the end of the hallway <laughs> And, and go, now you have to roll dice and move across the room and defeat the ogre. And then they go, oh, well, that's really fun and pretty straightforward. And they go, well, but I, I'm, I'm swinging a greatsword, but he's shooting an arrow and that guy is casting a fireball. Well, I want to give one of those a try. You go, yeah. well, do you? Well, here, why don't you read about it in this book? <laughs> and then it just snowballs from there exactly but you can start for someone at any level like you can either jump head first and dive in and read everything you can before you even pick up a pencil or you can have someone who has only ever played 
Yahtzee <laughs> and yeah. as long as they know how to roll a dice, you can teach them how to play. I think that's what's great is especially being uh, a game that's great as long as one person knows how and is sitting at the head of the table, everyone will have a good time, no matter how much experience or willingness you have. And yeah, like you said, it's something where you can literally just know how to roll dice and and add, add. Your, <laughs> and just add. And that's really all you need to know to be able to do the basics of Dungeons and Dragons is essentially just roll a dice and do some addition. <laughs> so it's very open. And I, th- I think what, like with that being said and it being so easy and people not really realizing how easy it is, is that it's now becoming a teaching tool for some people. People are using it for kids who have different disabilities or to use in classrooms to help engage in creative writing and storytelling and stuff like that. And so people realize that because fundamentally it's a very basic game, but when you take the lid off of that very basic game, there's so many underlying skills that can be taught to people by playing it that it really does become a really immense tool for teaching people. I mean, even basic things like learning about respect for the other people at the table or learning patience and waiting for your your turn during combat and things like that. It just, I think it's a great game because of that. Yes, I agree entirely. There's many things you can learn from it. People don't even think about learning when they play the game. But like you could give this like you could give the dice and the sheet to your seven or eight year old, probably younger even, mm-hmm. like someone who's just learning math for the first time. And they're so excited to show you that they can add and you present this game to them and you go, All right, now roll the dice and add this number to whatever you roll in the dice. And it's practice for school. Mm-hmm. Like fundamental skills that we take advantage of as adults but it it creates a new avenue for a kid to learn it and there are some kids who have the hardest time going home and sitting down and looking at a sheet of numbers and just adding them all up i was Mm -hmm. one of them it was the most boring thing in the world when i was in grade what one two three yeah but now i come home and i do it for fun (laughs) (laughs) and if it would have been presented to me as a young kid i would have had way more fun doing math not to say mm-hmm. I wasn't all right at math, but it would have been more enjoyable. And and like you said, I've, I've heard countless stories, of, especially here in our hometown. You can go to any middle school and it's offered as a class uh, where they would normally have like a social block, like a block where you have to take a uh, like the map program or, or something where you have to be able to sit down with a group of people and converse and plan things and just be able to have that social interaction. And they actually have it as a class now where you sit down and you gave, you already gave all the examples of things you can learn in the class. But it's amazing to me that we're at a stage in the world where people are putting value on the things taught by these types of games, games that encourage you to be a little more outgoing and to your own degree and a little more creative in your own way and a little bit and quick at math, uh, just simple math, mm-hmm. stuff that you'll use all the time throughout your entire life. Team building is another mm-hmm. one that's really great. And there's not enough of that in school, in my opinion. Like, they pair you up for projects, science projects and stuff. You have to get in a group of people you don't know and and do something. But it's already laid out for you, and no one really cares. Like, people people might care about science. But when it's a group project, 
you're like, I can't wait until I can work on my own. Or if you do like working with other people, chances are you don't care about the science. You want to work with the other person. Yeah. <laughs> but this way it's something enjoyable and people are looking forward to working with others because that's the point. <laughs> that's the point of the game is to enjoy working with the people sitting next to you to do a, uh, to do something that you find enjoyable, <laughs> not just forcing you to work together with someone for something that you're not going to go home. You're not going to go home and mix chemicals in your bathroom with your friend. <laughs> Or if you do, then there's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I and I think with the whole team building thing that you touched on is that it's rather than just being you know forced into a group where you have to do this, you're a group of individuals that are brought together by the different unique things that you can do to reach a common goal. And I feel like that's something that as society we crave is to be like have this group of people that we can come together with to achieve a common goal and so to have a game that can help people learn that as part of the game that's just something that's really just wow not even going into it but like there's even smaller minutia that that go on where it's like uh, it can teach people to be less racist you have all these different races of people Mm -hmm. and there's and and the dm can subtly put in that there's a racist world out there and they can put npcs that encourage people to get over their hardships of disliking the half works and why can't they just be part of everybody else and you can tie that into the real world why should we ever segregate people because of the color of their skin and like they can be good at other things uh in different ways but they can be good at the same things as us in a lot of ways and and each individual is unique and not and not separated by by what's going on in their in genetics but they, but like every you know what i'm saying like everybody mm-hmm. can kind of you can teach a million lessons from somebody sitting at a table hiding behind a screen and people rolling dice and yeah, there's so much that can be drawn out of it. I know that we've talked a lot about there being so much con- new content and content that's probably like always going to be introduced to Dungeons and Dragons as it evolves and you know takes us to new places and whatnot uh, as the time goes. If there's something that you would want to add to Dungeons and Dragons, be it a setting or a race or a class, is there something that you would want to add? Well, I have I have probably two answers for this, or maybe a couple different types of answers. The easiest one being the one thing I really wanted added to Dungeons and Dragons was Pokemon, and then <laughs> I did that. And my my dream would be to be able to like finish out the game I've been working on. And I know a bunch mm-hmm. of people have been working on their own homebrew versions, but I'd love to finish it out and stick it in a book and make it available to people. That's one of the dreams I would love added. And if Nintendo and Wizards of the Coast could magically somehow work together and just love my product, <laughs> that would dream come true. But I'm not getting my hopes up. <laughs> and the more yeah. believable thing that I would love added to the game, and this is something that I know you can do with a lot of classes, but I would love to see a class whose entire purpose revolves around being mounted. Okay. Mounted on an animal, like a horse. Like I love playing mounted combatants. I have had like... A bunch of paladins with their horses and whatnot but i've also had warriors on the backs of griffins with pole arms i've had like the halflings riding dogs but you could expand it further than that want to have a class that's not only good at mounted combat on animals but also good at mounting like a ballista or mounting on certain equipment and operating the equipment 
someone who's good at operating devices, animals, equipment, essentially. Okay. And I would always, I've always tried to, I've, I've taken characters and I've made them able to do that. But it's always hard where like the character class will direct you towards a certain type of play style and you have to kind of go off the beaten path and expend mm-hmm. all of your resources with your feats and your stats and, and your equipment. And you have to take huge steps that other characters don't have to take just to create that unique type of character that I think is so enjoyable. And I also would just love for DMs to take note if somebody wants to play a mounted character, don't always force them into a five foot hallway where they can't (laughs) bring their animal. It makes them not enjoy it. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times as the Griffin Rider, I was forced to walk through a castle and leave him outside in the stable. Especially when you have the entire underground like goblin army and you have to infiltrate their base and you're like, no, I'll wait for them to come out on the surface. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is another big thing to keep in mind being a, a DM is if one of your characters is built for a very specific environment, maybe include that environment in your campaign (laughs) and it doesn't have to be every time like you can add a new flavor if you're constantly on a horse to have to get off the horse Mm. that can that adds a new depth to it but if somebody makes a character even if someone makes an archer but all the combat is close quarters there's a five foot hallway and then a corner and then another five foot hallway then a corner well they're not gonna have fun yeah but that's a whole nother topic for another time i'll talk about but for the main part, the one thing I want to see added is maybe there's a couple of classes, and I have some other ideas, but that's probably the one I'm I'm the most close to. If there was anything that could be added to Dungeons and Dragons Fifth Edition from Wizards of the Coast, would be a class specifically aimed towards mounted combat. Alrighty, well we've got to finish things off by talking about Endless Realms and talking about your character in Endless Realms. So I know when I was like putting together the group. And whatnot, and you had always pushed me like, "Oh, you've you've got a DM at some point. You got a DM," and then I said, "Okay, I'm gonna DM, but it's for a game that you've probably never heard of." And then I kind of, you know, walked you through it in a little bit. And uh, I know that I kind of talked about this a little bit in the first episode, but I knew that you, being a more veteran D and D player, would want a class that was going to be a little bit more of a challenge, give you like a little bit more in depth than you know just your standard spellcaster or melee fighter which is why i suggest that you do animancer uh, because it's just so different and that whole having to keep balance within yourself and having this duality in the actual core of your character i think was a very interesting thing but other than that i'm really curious what made you pick a yakshi which is the tree people now it's gonna sound funny and cheesy and everyone will laugh but honestly i kind of just went i've never played a group character before (laughs) (laughs) and this gives me a perfect avenue where i don't have to pull strings to make it happen and i and that was just an easy thought and i remember when you first approached me you said will you play this game i went all great another uh kickstarter dnd knockoff i've played a few of these in the past they never work out and then you handed me a book (laughs) a full-size book and i went hang on this has some thought put into it (laughs) oh yeah and i kind of picked it up and i was flipping through the pages and you were telling me i think you'll like this and i flipped to the page and i saw animancer and i went that looks interesting and then i went through all the races after that and i saw the tree and i went 
this could be really interesting <laughs> and the gears started spinning and i thought what better way to the balance of life and death than a tree something that sees lots of life and death <laughs> something that lives for a very long time and that that is part of the cycle right like animals mm -hmm. live and they die and and they nourish the trees and they kind of, they're, they're one large pillar in a very cyclical, cyclical world. And I went, I can work with this. <laughs> and then I was reading the book and I went, wow, there is so much story, like just in one book out of the blue. And I'm slapped in the face with an entire world that has all of the races and how they've worked together and histories about the races and histories about the different classes. And, and I was just overwhelmed by the amount of knowledge and I kind of was taking it all in and, and the creative juices were flowing. And I was exposed to this new whole environment of creativity, a new way to express my creativity. And I started reading about the backstory of the Akshi and, and how they all come from one tree and how they have a completely different societal structure than anything else I've ever read about. And I went, what if we added a twist to that? <laughs> and that might be part of my uh, DM experience. But I looked at that story and went, this is such a perfect story. What if you added a hiccup to something that's been so solid and just so written out and explored every avenue and then you threw it a curveball? That can make for an interesting character. And that's kind of where my character got created. I don't want to talk about it too much because I know that the other campaign members might listen to this. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess just finally with Endless Realms is that you've played a lot of very similar D20 based games. But this game is different because it's based on a D10 and there's not so much the roll to hit and roll for damage. There's the one roll. How are you finding that compared to the, you know, roll the hit and then roll for damage? Like, do you find that it's more about, you know, making sure that you have your skills in place to make that attack work? And like, do you find that it make, maybe makes things run a little bit quicker? It is refreshing. Mm -hmm. And I know not a lot of people, will, a lot of people love their, their sets of dice with their D20s and all that. Heck, I just bought uh, my first metal set of dice. I know I've played forever and I only have one set of metal dice. I'm ashamed of myself. But, but there was something refreshing about taking away all of the the confusion, all of the which dice do I roll. Mm -hmm. uh, and not that I've ever had a problem with that, but it was nice to not have to think about it, to be able to sit down and go, well, I'm going to attack. And you roll your one dice and you add your number and you can focus back to the other parts of the campaign because there's so much else. There's so many things your character can do and so many other characters and so much new information that it was it was kind of nice to be able to not worry about that for once. And I've only ever played one other game that didn't use a D20 based system. And it was like a Star Wars game and it was all D6, but it was just like, and I do this skill and I have to roll five D6 and I do this skill and I have to roll three D6. And it was very confusing because you had to learn, it was like a whole nother set of like, not it was just one dice, but it was how many do I roll and what do I add to it? And this one is so just simple, but not mm -hmm. overly simple. Yeah. You roll like the D10 and it just kind of, the attack either succeeds or it fails and you deal damage or you don't. And if you succeed, you deal damage and then you kind of like go from there. But then it takes away all of that. Oh yeah, I hit him. 
oh crap, I only did one damage. damage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, for people who missed the first episode who don't really know what we're talking about, uh, the way that attacking and defending works in Endless Realms is that you each person rolls a d10. So the defender rolls a d10, the attacker rolls a d10, and then the difference between the numbers determines, first of all, whether or not it hits, and then how much damage the weapon does based on the difference in the numbers. So if it's between one to three is what they call a low amount of damage, and if it's more than three, it's what's called a high amount of damage. And you still have the bonuses that you add, exactly. like are familiar with the games, and depending on which ability or attack you use, there can be other things that happen if you succeed, even if you don't roll high enough to do max damage, like landing a hit with my Animancer Bone Sword it causes people to get bleed damage or whatever. So it's like, I, I succeed the attack, cool things will happen. And mm -hmm. it's not like, I succeed the attack. Oh, but I roll a dice and now they don't bleed or they don't get poisoned or, you know, my sneak attack all rolled minimum. Like, I, I, my character doesn't do sneak attack in Endless Realms, but, like, they can't tell you how many times I've played a sneaky rogue character and you roll seven dice and they all show up once. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's always truly really disappointing. Yeah. This one, it makes it straightforward. You roll the dice, they tell you to succeed, and then you go, ooh, I succeeded. And then they go, and you get max damage, and you go, and you have that other second moment of, ooh, that's even better. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the final thing I want to talk about, and this is something that our group has found playing this game, is because it is still such a new community and a small community, I think three, maybe four of us, have actually met the creator of Endless Realms, and all of us have talked to her on Discord and can talk to the whole development team uh, like very freely and openly like you would a friend. And it's so cool to be part of something that's still kind of, I don't want to say in its infancy because it's definitely starting to take off now, but something that's still so new that you can be a part of that creative journey with the people who have made this game. And I, I imagine that that must be pretty cool for you having played mostly major campaign stuff. For sure. I, I mean, I've always encouraged like people, I guess, like I, I've talked a bunch today about creativity, but to see someone who took their creativity to create their entire world or their entire structure, like everything from the ground up, and to see it take off the way it has and to open up the book and see, hey, this is really fun. And to be able to hang out with my brother and his friends and have everyone go, wow, this is really fun <laughs> is kind of just nice. And then hearing that it was that it was like a Kickstarter and it was somebody who's local and and uh, someone that I might bump into in the future. <laughs> like it seems just so surreal that it's like, it's all uh, uh, something you can accomplish. Yeah. Which is really good for me too. Cause especially being someone who's trying to create content to see that somebody can create their own thing and, and run with it and see that it could be so much fun gives a little bit of hope to people, anyone who's ever been in the boat of like me creating something that they truly can put their heart behind. Mm -hmm. Well, that's uh, all the questions that we have for today. Uh, thank you so much again, Alan, for joining me. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you as always. And we'll see a whole bunch of you in our Endless Realms campaign. Thank you for having me, Matt. It was really fun today. Uh, see you on the other side of the table. <laughs>
Alrighty. And once again, our broadcasts of Crit Me are brought to you by Lunar Games, the creators of Endless Realms, which is a fantastic D10 based game with its whole system of races and classes to really give you a new experience to your role-playing and tabletop genre.